Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore trends and developments in the additive manufacturing industry. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm Leslie Langnaw, your host at Technology Forward. News on the use of additive manufacturing in aerospace and automotive industries is frequent, but it may not be a simple replacement of machining and traditional manufacturing technology with additive. I'm here today with David Gibbenhine, Global Product Director at Protolabs, on the evolving world of additive manufacturing. Thank you for being here with me today, David. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so one of the things that you and I were discussing earlier via email is how um, aerospace and automotive industries and their changing view of additive manufacturing. So can you go into that a little bit more as to how they're changing their view and what has changed in order for this development to have happened? Yeah, absolutely. So I will start with sort of how I view the current state and then go into what's what's been changing over the last couple of years. And starting with aerospace, you know, I think that's certainly one of the most, if not the most mature industry out there today in terms of its adoption of 3D printing. And I think the reason for that is simply that it's because it's a near perfect fit for extracting the value that additive can provide. So as, as I'm sure you're aware, and your listeners are probably aware, additive is very well suited to applications involving things like light weighting, optimizing heat exchanger performance, part consolidation, building complex parts using materials like super alloys, um, such as Inconel, that can withstand extreme heat. And um, with aerospace, really every single one of those value add areas is critical to the performance of aircrafts and spacecrafts. So from that perspective, I think it's logical that aerospace adopted 3D printing early. And I think the other primary driver here, particularly for production, is that the aerospace industry tends to produce products in very low volumes. So And that just tends to be where additive tends to be more cost competitive relative to traditional manufacturing processes. Mm -hmm. So so I guess in short, uh, there's a lot of value that can be extracted from additive in the aerospace industry, and there's few barriers to the cost given the volumes. Um, So folks in the industry started working to develop quality standards and validation processes for production parts very early on, um, much earlier than most other industries. So today, um, despite still having a lack of widely recognized standards for additive production parts, most companies in the aerospace industry, at least the ones that we've worked with, have developed their own criteria and requirements to qualify additive production parts. And we're starting to see our business with these customers shift more from prototyping applications to more production applications. And and we're also seeing far more parts designed specifically for the additive process. I'm going to interrupt you here for a second. These aerospace companies, are they, so you said that they're developing their own criteria, their own requirements. Are these in any way involving the FAA or is that kind of a concurrent process that goes on? Yeah, I think it's a concurrent process and you do, you do see, you know, stating certain FAA uh, regulations in these requirements. 
but they also tend to bring in things like casting requirements that they've used for decades. And I think that's just to help them become comfortable that these parts that we're producing via 3D printing are at least to the standard of a cast part. Okay. How about the Um, automotive industry? Yeah. So with automotive, I think there's a lot of potential in automotive, uh, at least from the view I have of the market, though. Adoption is a number of years behind aerospace. Uh, We still do quite a lot of business in the auto sector, but it still tends to be dominated by prototyping use cases uh, with a lot of activity these days coming from electric vehicle and autonomous driving system companies that are effectively in a race to get their products to market fastest. On the production side of automotive, I think there's a couple reasons for the lack of activity in the segment. One, and, and they're, they're similar to the reasons why aerospace did adopt it, but the first thing is, one is, it's at least for the consumer segments of automotive, like passenger vehicles, uh, volumes tend to be very high, and at those volumes, processes like injection molding and casting are, are just tough to beat in terms of uh, cost-effectiveness. The other component here is that although the the complexity that is available in additive can still add a ton of value to automotive applications, it's generally not quite to the same level as the value that it brings to the aerospace industry. I think, you know, you hear the um, the claims that if you can reduce uh, the weight of an aircraft by, you know, 10 pounds or so... Uh, they save thousands of dollars per year, tens of thousands of dollars a year um, in fuel. So those economies or those those economic benefits are are there for automotive. They're just not quite to the same level as aerospace. Yeah. So that combined with the higher volumes just makes it a larger barrier to get over. I think the volumes is a big issue for automotive, and additive has had uh, a big role in the custom parts in the automotive industry. Yeah. Because of yeah. the lack of and, and, huge volumes. Yes, exactly. And, and you do see companies like I think BMW and Mini are starting to offer some of those personalization options for their customers. But um, those are, of course, one-offs and very, very low volume production. I'm starting to see a whole bunch of press releases about the use of binder jetting in the automotive mm-hmm. industry. Can mm-hmm. you go into that a little bit more as to why suddenly that particular additive technology is starting to catch on? Yeah, so we don't currently offer binder jetting today, but but with that said, I'm, I'm of course following the development of that process. And from what we've seen, it is very promising. Um, the cost level of those parts is going way down relative to laser sintering, particularly as the volumes go up. There are some challenges with it, of course, when you, so the the binder jetting process requires uh, a debind and sintering stage to to get the parts fully dense. And throughout that process, the the parts shrink, the parts can warp. Um, So it takes a few iterations to perfect the, I guess, the pre-design that goes into the printer to to get the actual geometry that you want out of the printer. Um, or out of the sintering stage. So, and, and there's of course software development working around that to help predict that shrink and warp. 
There's lots of OEMs working on the, the printing side. Of course, there's MarkForge, there's um, Desktop Metal, there's GE, there's HP, uh, Stratasys. So there's a lot of investment going on here. So I, I think it's only a matter of time until that's ready to go, which I, I do think will drive a ton of adoption from industries like the automotive industry. Okay, now given the capabilities of additive manufacturing, how is it affecting the design for parts in aerospace and automotive? How is that changing? Yeah, so a couple interesting things there. So with aerospace, we're starting to see a lot more parts that were very clearly designed specifically for additive. So they're leveraging that complexity that's available. They are uh, essentially eliminating any manufacturability concerns, which do crop up from time to time in additive, um, particularly on the metal side. So that makes it a lot easier for us to go straight into the printing process without having to iterate further to eliminate those manufacturability constraints. With that said, I think there's still some room for improvement. Um, it's still very rare, at least at Protolabs, to see customers sending us parts that were designed using topology optimization or generative design capabilities that are uh, very geared towards optimizing um, additive manufactured parts specifically for whatever performance goal they might have, whether it's heat exchanging or um, light weighting, just removing material that simply doesn't need to be there. So I think as, the, as those software capabilities mature and become more widely available, we'll start to see that and we'll start to see more and more additively manufactured parts. So if I'm hearing you correctly, your view is that those softwares, topology optimization and generative design, they can do a great deal to enhance a designer's capabilities in using additive technology. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's only so much we humans can do in terms of um, creating organic shapes and things that, that seem to be very effective. Okay, so let's ask maybe the more obvious question is, why are we switching to organic versus what we were doing before? Is that just strictly the limitations of the manufacturing process that we've had? Or are there other benefits to organic that maybe some people are not really cognizant of or taking into account? Yeah, I think, I think it's twofold. I think one reason, as you noted, is that the manufacturing processes we have, organic shapes are just more difficult to do and take more time. Um, you know, if you're milling something, you have to slow down the speeds quite a bit to, to, yeah. to get those nice surface finishes on a curve. And the other thing is that the, the traditional 3D CAD software that, that the engineers use to design these parts with, of course, organic shapes are possible with surface modeling and things, you know, without doing that and then going back to a simulation and then going back to design, it's it's going to take a very long time to get to um, an optimal state. Whereas with this new set of um, software capabilities, the, the computer itself is doing that iteration on its own. It, it's doing a simulation. It's taking out small chunks of material where you, where you don't need it, rerunning that simulation and continuing to iterate on it until you get to theoretically an optimal solution. Speaking of software, uh, in all these interviews that I've been doing, there's been a lot of commentary that the hardware is actually at a really good place right now in regards to additive manufacturing. And software is now the area that needs to have more attention paid to it in order to take advantage of what the hardware is now capable of. 
and improve the entire process overall. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's that's a fair statement. Of course, there's there's always going to be work to do on the hardware side. Um, we we talked about binder jetting, which is still um, in the early stages and continues to be refined before it's it's more widely used. But um, yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a lot of software capabilities on a standalone basis that are uh, fantastic. So there's there's great generative design software. There's great build prep software. There's great build simulation software to predict things like um, internal stresses that develop during the build process. There's software um, to, to model the, the shrink and warp during a, a sintering stage. But what I think we're missing is all those uh, capabilities to be integrated together so that the, the design software um, is outputting something that I guess in combination with optimizing the, the design itself, it's also checking in the build process, is there going to be internal stresses in this? Because right now, there's a break between those two points and they could send us the part. And from a design perspective, it would be great if, if we could produce it that way. But the way it's designed, it's simply challenging to build it that way. So, And then you go to adding support structures. How do you optimize those to get a good build at the first time while also minimizing cost and reducing build times? So I think there there would be a ton of value in integrating all of those software capabilities that um, is is simply, it's it's hard to do, which I think is why it hasn't happened. There's different companies developing different software. And then of course they have to integrate into the hardware, which is another set of companies. So it's it's a big problem. (laughs) It's one I'm looking forward to see develop. Yeah, that sounds like a very familiar problem. No matter what we've done as far as manufacturing or design, this compatibility issue. Yeah, exactly. So how about for the aerospace and automotive industry? They've obviously have a lot of skills built up now in using additive manufacturing. Are are some of these things, can these help designers in other markets like maybe oil and gas or uh, medical or consumer in some of these other areas? For sure, I think, uh, well, I think medical is one that's also uh, pretty far ahead of the curve, probably on par with aerospace. There's, there's a lot of value there in terms of personalized medicine, implants, things like that. So, so that got them moving into additive early as well. But in general, I think there's a lot that, um, well, most industries I would say are still in their infancy with additive and, and there's a lot to learn there. I think if we could get the aerospace medical automotive customers talking more openly about their additive strategies and additive processes, that would go a long way to giving these other industries a head start. So, you know, thinking about things like how do they determine when to use additive? How do they train their engineers to be so effective at designing for additive? How do they manage quality and validation for production? Those types of questions um, being answered at, at the start would, would give them these other folks who, who may not be as familiar a big head start. And I think another aspect to this um, would be for these, these more advanced companies to describe their journey in getting to the point where they are now and going into detail on all the challenges they faced along the way, just in an effort to eliminate those same hurdles and barriers for these other industries as as they begin their journey. 
there's potentially even more value in, in knowing those pitfalls uh, ahead of time rather than just giving them the, the solution because yeah. the solution may differ for different industries, but a lot of the barriers will be the same. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we can develop conferences or educational programs that can address those issues. Yes, I, I totally agree. I, I think it's a tough ask to, yeah. to ask the aerospace and automotive industries to share their special <laughs> sauce. Yeah, particularly if they believe that's that's giving them a competitive advantage. One one thing I'm hoping for is that as this additive expertise in aerospace and automotive and, and other industries becomes more commonplace and less of a differentiator within their industry, that hesitancy will fade and they'll be more willing to share to industries like consumer electronics. And to your point on trade shows and, and how to share that, I think that's another challenge because, you know, most trade shows are industry specific. You go to an aerospace trade show or you go to a medical trade show or you attend um, some sort of event. It's, it's typically industry focused. So getting those cross industry learnings can be difficult. But now that the additive space is getting bigger and we're having our own events like um, AMUG or at Rapid and they're, they're catalyzing these types of conversations. There's also other organizations like America Makes that are trying to foster these discussions mm -hmm. and uh, we've participated in some of those and with very good results. Well, I was wondering about, because Protolabs is, is very much a service provider and you guys see a range of design issues and you create a lot of design solutions. And I don't know if there's some cross-pollination possible there too, but could service providers play something of a role in this cross-exchange? Absolutely. Yeah. We do it every day, all day long. Um, <laughs> More formal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. But yeah, we, we do have uh, a fairly large team of applications engineers who are on the phone with, with customers and doing things over email to help train these customers on how to optimize for design, how to get their, their designs manufacturable. And, and sometimes we, we're learning from our customers who are extremely advanced and, and applying, uh, applying those learnings. Not, not, of course, giving away any secret information. But yeah. But maybe even universities might play a role in some of that too, as, as more additive courses are added. Yeah, we're and we're working with a number of uh, universities. We did a program with MIT on um, training for additive manufacturing. Um, we've done our own in-house courses with customers um, in collaboration with Terry Wollers. So, I, I mean, it's any barrier to additive is a barrier to our business as well. So we're very much incentivized to train the world on, on how to do additive well. It, everything takes time, but, but hopefully we can hasten that pace. Well, um, is there anything you wish to add, David? No, I, I think this was a great discussion. I, well, I guess, you know, in, in terms of some of the things we're doing um, on the, the operations side to help drive adoption, there are a couple of things I'd like to mention. Okay. And, and I guess I forgot to mention this, but one of the things that we're seeing in the aerospace industry in terms of things that are changing is we're starting to see a lot more higher volume requests as well as requests for larger parts. Mm -hmm. so, so we've actually brought in a, an X-Line platform from GE, 
about a year ago, and that is a very large has a very large build volume, uh, about 800 by 500 by 400 millimeters to accommodate exactly those types of requests. So, so on the large part aspect of it, of course, that we can build very large parts, and with the large build volume, we can also build many, many, many small parts in a single build, which which really helps to reduce costs which will have, will, will sort of in, incentivize or reduce those cost barriers that industries like automotive have. And that first X line is running in canal. Uh, we also just brought in a second X line, which will be running aluminum, which should play well with both the aerospace and the automotive industries. Um, so that those- shows a that shows a great deal of confidence on the part of the aerospace and the automotive industries that they're willing to now use additive for larger parts. Yes, exactly. And I think that is one of the things that is new. Um, so we're starting to see more, more requests for these types of things. And, and I think that's because, um, particularly in aerospace, they, they were early adopters. They've been using additive for production for a number of years now. They've developed that confidence that it really is a production quality type process. And now they're willing to go to what may have initially been considered riskier projects. Right. So big, expensive parts, huge runs of smaller parts. These, um, these are not cheap. So, so they, they now have this confidence to, to go there and extract more value in, in these other areas. Okay. Well, those were all the questions I had, David. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It was great. 